And uh, let me ask you to reach in the Bible uh, that you were handed when you came in and turn to page 836. Page 836, you'll find Mark chapter 1 there, I hope. Let me just add my welcome to Scott's. Brilliant. If you are here this morning and you've come back, lovely to see you once again. If this is the very first time you've been through our doors, then we're delighted to welcome you this evening. I'm going to pray before we read God's word together. Our Father, we want to thank you again that nothing compares to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our wisdom, our salvation, and our rest. And we would pray that in our time together now, that by the power of your Spirit, you would excite us more and more with who he is, and that you might strengthen us in our hearts, that we might know him, and that we might be inspired to love him and to live for him. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, um, as John said, we're resuming a series this evening that we began a couple of years ago. Um, We've been working our way through Mark's Gospel Sunday morning and evening. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. Oh dear, that's a really bad time to start dying. Excuse me one second. I think we're going to be okay. Uh, So we've been working our way through Mark. Uh, We've done the first 13 chapters. Lots of new people around there, obviously. So we thought we'd go right back to the beginning tonight and look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1, where we began a couple of years ago before we launch into chapter 14 next Sunday. So just one verse for me to read to us this evening, and uh, you'll see it there, top left-hand side of the page in our Bibles. Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There are 661 verses in Mark, if my maths is correct. Thank you, mate. But chapter 1, verse 1 is this heading. It's a a title for the whole thing. It should set our bearings, therefore, for the series that we've got coming up, but also for many of us at the start of a new academic year, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Straight away, it means that Mark's gospel isn't like a detective story. Um, I read crime thrillers quite a lot just for fun. Most of them, you'll know, follow the same pattern. There's a nasty crime at the start, and then we follow along as our hero detective of one variety or another is trying to piece all the clues together to try and work out who'd done it. Mark's the opposite. In the very first sentence, his introduction is the the big conclusion to everything that he's going to say as well. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, We've got three big lessons. We're going to dive straight into it from uh, that single sentence this evening. I I hope they're familiar to some, but I'm sure they will be significant for us all. First thing, Christianity is Christ. It's about a friendship and not a formula. Now, uh, Mark, or John Mark, as he's sometimes called, was one of the first followers of Jesus. He gets eight or nine mentions in the New Testament. It's generally accepted that his book is based on the eyewitness testimony of the Apostle Peter of the things that Jesus had said and done during his ministry. But if you've ever been to a nativity play, you've ever performed in one, even a carol service, you'd maybe be forgiven for thinking that the introduction to the gospel is a little bit odd because there are no angels, no shepherds, no wise men. We had to read about Luke for a bit of that. Just this title, 
Does it sound even a bit bland, a bit over-familiar? I don't know, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the reason we're giving a whole Sunday evening to thinking about it is because it introduces the double aim that Mark has for his whole book. On the one hand, he's trying to introduce people to Christianity for the very first time. Uh, If you've got friends here in St. Andrews, or you make some this week who didn't grow up going to church, I'm sure you will, who don't really know what Christianity is all about, Mark would say, that is brilliant. I had them in mind when I was writing my book. So get them to read my book. Why not offer to read it with them, invite them along to church, and get them to, to listen in to everything that I have to say about Jesus. I'm here to introduce people to Christianity for the first time. But he would also say that his other aim is to inspire people to to follow Jesus, to keep on following Jesus, which will be the category that many of us are in. You might have been a Christian for five minutes, uh, five weeks, five decades. Mark would say, brilliant. Uh, You don't leave my book behind in Sunday school. It's not just for the kids. Keep reading it all of your days because it will continue to teach you what it means to follow me teach you more and more about who I am and what I came to do and what it means for you to follow after me. So whether we're looking to find out about Christianity or we've got mates who are or you're wanting to to grow as a Christian, if you're wanting to check whether the things that you were taught as you were growing up are really your faith rather than just your parents, Mark would say Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. He is the, the sun around which everything else orbits. He's the epicenter. He's the heart of everything. It is about him. To be a Christian is just to listen to Jesus, to follow him as our Lord. It'll maybe um, tighten in our heads a bit more what we're talking about if I flip it around and say, therefore, Christianity is not about following a rule book. Um, If you ask someone if they're a Christian, sometimes they'll say something like, well, I try to be. If they say that, it's because they've equated in their minds being a Christian with a certain way of living. It's about obeying a list of rules. But you don't try to be a Christian in the same way that you don't try to be married. Because first and foremost, being a Christian is not about a way of life. It's about a relationship. I hope you know that if you've grown up going to church. A relationship in which we know God as our Father. We know his son Jesus as our friend, our brother, and our Lord. Of course, that's going to have huge implications for the way that we live. But the heartbeat of it, the driving force, will always be that relationship. Again, Christianity is not about doing a whole bunch of religious stuff. I I grew up thinking that if you went to church, it automatically meant that you were a Christian. But uh, I want to say clearly, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Starbucks makes you a caramel latte or a, or a chocolate muffin. It is all about Jesus. Do I know him? Have I personally trusted in him? Am I following in him? Am I in a living relationship with him? I reckon I went to church. I, I totted it up about a thousand times, church or chapel, before I even realized what a Christian was, let alone before I became one. Again, it's not about background. Um, So I've got mates who grew up as Muslims or Jews or atheists or Hindus. 
who are now Christians. And similarly, I know people who grew up in Christian homes, some who go to church every week, but would tell you that they are not themselves a Christian. And it's because it's not about how I was brought up or where I was brought up. It's not about what my parents believe. It's not about the friendship group I'm in. It's about my own personal and present response to Jesus. How am I relating to him today? That's going to be Mark's big question. One more experience, uh, negative. It's not about an experience either. Um, you could have stood on a mountaintop sometime if you had a gap yard maybe, or you had some overwhelming sense of the greatness of a creator. You maybe sat in a church service sometime, you've been reduced to tears, or you felt electricity running through your veins. You could have had none of that. And having those experiences or not having them wouldn't tell us whether or not you're a Christian. At its root, Christianity is not about an experience, it's not about a feeling, it's not about an emotion. Mark didn't write the beginning of the gospel about going to church or obeying rules or having emotional highs or mystical experiences. When he wanted to introduce Christianity to us, he, when he wanted to inspire us to real faith, he wrote a book about one man. Here are three quick implications of that. One is that we need to look past the trappings. Look past the trappings. When I was um, growing up, I was like lots of people in that I rejected what I thought was Christianity because the packaging was dead to me. It was either boring rituals in old and dusty buildings that left me feeling pretty cold, or occasionally it was youth workers trying to be cool that left me cringing just a little bit, and I didn't really want anything to do with either, if I'm honest. It, it came as a big surprise to me when it was pointed out that I was confusing the packaging with the product. And when someone encouraged me to strip away layers and centuries of religiosity and to look at Jesus Christ himself through adult eyes, I don't think I'd given him any serious thoughts since I was maybe standing in a, on a stage in a nativity play wearing a dressing gown and with a tea towel on my head or something. He, I hadn't been thinking about him at all. And yet he is the essence of everything. So if you're new to thinking about Christian things or if you grew up going to church and you've been a bit bored of it lately, which I guess will be some here, I want to encourage you to look past the trappings and to think again about Jesus himself. I promise you, you won't find anything or anyone anywhere in the universe that is more compelling, more pure, more true, more real, more fulfilling, more worthy of your time and your attention and your affection than Jesus Christ himself. So look past the trappings this year and have a think about him. Second little implication, look past the failures as well. Um, you won't need me to tell you that church, no church is a perfect organization, um, that no Christian is a perfect person. Indeed, some of you will have found to your cost, I'm sure, that Christian people, Christian parents, Christian leaders can be the greatest of hypocrites. They can even end up doing harm to the people that they've promised to protect and serve. I can leave a, a sour taste in the mouth. 
and we can want to run away from it. I, I hope it's of some comfort to you to know that Jesus himself, the one who stands at the heart of Christianity, hates hypocrisy more than any of us ever could, that he sees and knows all, that he too has been there. He knows what it is to suffer deep personal injustice. And Mark would say, if you're wanting to get an accurate picture of what Christianity is, as painful and hard as it can be to do this, or if you're wanting to heal, if you're wanting to find strength, if you're wanting to go deeper in your faith, the place that you'll be able to do that is in relationship with Jesus. So try to look past the failures of others and look to the beauty of the founder. Finally, here, look past the various Christian subcultures that exist as well. This may just be a different way of saying the same thing. I reckon over the years now, I've been a part of for a greater or a smaller length of time of dozens of different churches and Christian organizations. And what you discover if you watch them is that they all have their own slightly different way of doing things. Um, if you grow up going to church, the way we do things here will be slightly different to the way that you did it, I am sure, for good or ill. They all have their own emphases, they've all got their own vocabulary, they've all got their own practices, and some seem to have unwritten rules that no one tells you, but they get upset if you break. They all have a, an in-crowd who are the, the champions of their little bit of subculture, their way of doing things. And in one sense, that's inevitable. It, it happens in any organization. If you join the bowling club, you'll find the, the same thing. But lots of us like being accepted by people. Lots of us like winning other people's approval. So it can be really tempting to try and fit in and want to become a part of an in-crowd. Again, to a certain extent, that's inevitable. The, the dangerous thing would be if you start to accept the beliefs, the, the practices, the values of any one particular subculture in an unthinking way without stopping to think, is this of Jesus or isn't it? It can happen if you're just attracted to a particularly dominant personality. You think, I want to be a part of that. And again, Mark would want to say, I want to say, Christianity is not St. Andrew's Free Church or any other church or any other Christian organization. Christianity is Christ. And so if we want to grow as followers of Jesus, then the way that we are going to do that is by keeping our eyes on him. His is the only well done that matters. We want to listen to his word by all means, listen to mine, but test to see whether or not they're in line with what Jesus is saying. Follow him. For goodness sake, don't follow me. And of course, churches can help us do that if they keep their eyes on Jesus, if his word is in the driving seat. But our first loyalty is to him. So there's foundational lesson number one. Christianity is Christ. It's about a relationship with him. Second and third, and they'll be a bit briefer. First, Jesus Christ is good news, a feast, not a funeral. Uh, I don't think we're spending too long on this point, but I hope it will do us good to be reminded that the message of Jesus Christ is good news, that it is, in fact, the best news in the world. Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel, literally good news 
And it, it's a word that has different layers of meaning. Um, for one, it was used in the first century as a, as a public announcement or a declaration. If a king ascended to a throne or something, if it was the emperor's birthday, there was a news flash, and that was referred to as gospel. Uh, one inscription they found said that the arrival of, not Jesus, but the emperor Augustus in the world brought our life to the climax of perfection, so they claimed. They said, he is the savior. They said, his birthday is the beginning of good news for the whole world. It's pretty provocative then for Mark to take some of that language if it was floating around at the time that he was writing and to say the good news isn't about Augustus or anyone else. It's about Jesus. Here's another layer to it. In the Old Testament, the word gospel was used when someone won a military victory. Uh, that'll be in Mark's mind as well. He's saying, my book is about the one who came to conquer. Not an army, but all evil and death forever. That's who Jesus is, the king and conqueror of evil and death. Again, the, the word gospel was used in the Old Testament to uh, describe the message of God's salvation. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring gospel, good news. And so again, Mark's saying, my book is about the savior of the whole world. His name, Jesus, even means the Lord saves. Uh, you see that word beginning as well, the beginning of the gospel, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Mark is saying the good news of Jesus Christ is no less momentous than the creation of everything. It is that big, it is that cosmic, it is that good. So if I were to ask you the question, what is the best news that you have ever heard? Uh, and you weren't thinking with a particularly, I've just been listening to Mark 1-1 kind of hat on. You might tell me about exam results or news of some mates who got engaged, the birth of a child or a grandchild, a sporting victory, all things that are wonderful and worth celebrating. But Mark would say, you know, if the, the thing the thing that gets your pulse racing more than anything and puts a, a smile on your face more than anything is not the good news of Jesus Christ. It would be a sign that I, I've still got a bit of investigation to do. I, I probably haven't quite yet come to terms with just how wonderful he is. Or maybe that I knew that for a while, but I've just begun to take him a little bit for granted and I need to come back to the beginning. And the reason this matters is that, that our society tells us that fun and fulfillment in life are found in personal freedom. So if you want to experience joy and abundance, you get it by following your heart, by expressing yourself, by doing whatever you want, that that's the way that you're truly free. And therefore, anyone who restricts or stands in the way of our right to self-expression 
self-direction is considered not only boring, but bad for us, dangerous even, someone to be avoided. And that's why the rhetoric gets turned up against Christianity louder and louder in our society bit by bit, because Jesus says, you actually aren't the Lord of your life. I am. And the way that you will find freedom and fulfillment isn't by listening to yourself and following your heart, but by denying yourself and taking up your cross and by following me. And so the message of Jesus will stand in stark contrast to the world. Everything we see in the the media, social media, the, the messaging you'll hear from the world this week, whatever you're doing, will tell you to to find joy and happiness and meaning in places other than Jesus Christ. That's the air we breathe all the time. And as Christians, those of us who are, as we breathe that air, we can find it easy to forget that Jesus is good news. We can even look at people who are ignoring him because they seem to be having a good time doing it. And we can even be slightly envious of them and start to resent the things that Jesus tells us are good for us. And so instead of trusting that following Jesus leads to a life of feasting and delight, even in the midst of sorrow, it can begin to feel to us more like a a funeral march or a dirge, and we want to be rid of it, because there's more fun elsewhere. You might have grown up in a Christian family, and found it a little bit restrictive at times. The parents are just a bit outdated. Uh, That's what my kids have certainly discovered. And maybe you've come to university thinking that you'd be better off if you could just leave it all behind and get to experience everything for yourself that you've been told not to. I wanna remind us that Jesus is good news for you Following Jesus to the absolute max is the way to live your best life, is the way to be the best version of yourself. It's who you were designed to be. It's the way your life was designed to thrive. If you think about it with me, Jesus wouldn't have gone to all of the bother of coming into the world and then dying on a cross for you just so that he could spoil your fun and deprive you of joy and give you the life of a librarian at work, just having to walk around, tiptoeing quietly the whole time. He's good news. He's good for the world and he is good for you. That's my own testimony personally in my years of following him. There'd be dozens of others here who would want to share that testimony with you. Do ask them afterwards if you want to. That's point two, here's the last. Jesus Christ is everything, a fact and not a feeling. A fact, not a feeling. And I'm uh, wanting to remind us here that the supremacy of Jesus is a fact, uh, not just a theory. And it's because of that word gospel once again. The word gospel wasn't used of a hunch, a hope, an opinion, an emotion, but something that was solid, tangible news. And here Mark is passing on this reliable testimony of someone who'd seen Jesus' works with his own eyes, who'd 
heard his words with his own ears, who touched his resurrection body with his own hands. And he's saying the evidence of history has proven that it is solid fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, you may have grown up like me thinking that Christ was a surname. So you put Jesus under C in your contacts or something. It's this actually a, a title that is, is loaded with Old Testament meaning. For centuries, God had been promising that one day he would send into the world a wise and spirit-filled king. Someone who would execute justice and righteousness someone who would reign over all people for all time. That's the Christ, God's forever king. And Mark is writing to show us that the Christ has come and his name is Jesus. And if you were to read through to try and catch up to where we'll be next week in chapter 14, you'd see that the book is full of evidence that's designed to persuade us of the unique power and wisdom of Jesus. There's a moment halfway through the gospel when he turns to people around him and says, who do people say that I am? And they tell him what the different, what the word on the street is, I guess. Uh, and then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I don't know how you'd reply, but Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ. And here, right up front in the, the title to the gospel, Mark is telling us, when you get to that moment halfway through, Peter's got the answer right. Jesus is the forever king, the promised one. And that's why, as you read through the gospel, you see him opening the eyes of the blind and unstopping the ears of the deaf and making the lame to leap like deer and allowing the mute to sing for joy. Because Jesus was sent into the world to establish God's saving reign on earth. Ultimately, his new creation that will be completely perfect in every way. He's that king. He's come to do that. But finally on the sheet there, you'll see he's also the son. And uh, Mark has spent his whole book justifying that claim, unpacking its implications, but he's unashamed to say Jesus is the Son of God. Again, there's so many different layers to that. Um, right back at the beginning of the Bible, Adam was called the Son of God, and Jesus is the second Adam. He's the beginning of a whole new humanity. Then the, the nation of Israel as a whole was called the Son of God. And Jesus is the new Israel, the beginning of a whole new people of God that's constituted not by genetic descent, but by knowing him. Then you get Israel's kings, people like David. They're called the son of God as well. And Jesus is the forever king of everyone. And there's maybe even more to it than that because Jesus isn't just a man with a special job like David. Mark has shown us in his gospel that he is, in fact, God, the eternal Son, the creator, the sustainer, the Lord of everything. And if we can even begin to comprehend what it means for all of that to be wrapped up in one man, you'll see why I say Jesus Christ is everything. 
Because Mark's saying, irrespective of how I feel about Jesus, he is nevertheless my king. He is my God. So if I'm rejecting Jesus, then I'm rejecting God. If I'm wanting to hold him at arm's length and run my life without him, then that's how I'm treating God. But if I'm honoring and listening to Jesus, then I can know that I'm doing the will of God, that I honor the Son. The start of a new year is a good time for all of us to stop and reflect on the way that we're relating to Jesus. I know I encouraged us to do that this morning. He is everything, but is he my everything? Uh, I was helped many years ago when someone gave me three Ps to think about. Uh, He said, it's obvious that Jesus is a part of your life. Um, And I guess that's true of you because you're here as well. He's a part of your life. He said, it even looks as though Jesus is a prominent part of your life. He's not an afterthought. He matters to you. Enough some of you to come here to church once or twice on your very first Sunday in St. Andrews. That was true for me at the time, as it will be for many of us. But then he asked me a question. Will you allow Jesus to be preeminent in your life? Not just a part, not just a big part, but preeminent above all things. The Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ. And if all of these things are true about Jesus, then he should be. Right at the start, Mark is saying, Jesus is worthy of complete devotion. We all have something or someone that is preeminent in our life, that's our number one. But Jesus is the only one who is worthy of pride of place in your heart, your life and mine. So I wonder what's going on in your heart of hearts. Is Jesus a part, prominent, or preeminent? I hope that's a useful reintroduction to Mark's gospel for us. Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about his death on the cross, and that's why we're going to follow him on his journey there over the next few months. It's not a formula for life. It's about friendship with your God. Jesus Christ is good news. Following him is not a a funeral, but a feast. And Jesus Christ is everything. That's a fact, not a feeling. If you don't know whether you believe that, I hope at the very least you'll be able to see this evening that the stakes are pretty high. And I hope that you will want to make it a priority to come to your own mind as an adult about him. Uh, We would love to help you do that, needless to say. You may have lots of questions that you've come to uni with, things that maybe you were never encouraged to ask before, or you've never got around to it, or you thought it would upset folks too much if you did. Doubts that you've got, challenges that have come to your faith, things that you want to work through. Please come, week by week. We'd love to, to be here and walk alongside you as you do that. We'll do anything we can to help. But to those who do believe... The challenge is now to put it into practice. Jesus said it's not just about hearing his word, it's about doing it. Um, For all of us, it's the start of a new year. 
For some of us, it's the start of a new phase of life. How closely will we follow the Lord Jesus? How much attention will we pay to obeying him this year? Let me pray. Our Father, we want to thank you that Jesus Christ is good news. We want to thank you that his arrival was as significant as the start of a whole new creation. We want to thank you for the way that he proved that through his life, the way that he invited us to be a part of it. We want to thank you that following him is the best way to live, the way to be the best version of ourselves. And so we would pray that as we've been reminded of truth this evening, that you would fill us with courage and conviction that we might live the things that we have heard if we believe them. You know that we are weak and we're prone to wander. And so we pray that you would keep us and remind us of your grace day by day, whether we have good days or bad, and enable us, please, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And we pray it for his name's sake. Amen. I'm going to close our time by singing. I hope you'll be able